0: Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. I'm Ollie Henderson and my guest today, one week later than originally planned, is Alison Baumgates. Now, long-time listeners will know that Alison appeared on the first series of this show back when it was called Take My Advice. I'm not using it. Still not quite sure whether that was a better title than Future Work Life. That will remain up for debate, but back to more important matters. Alison and I have stayed in touch over the past few years and she's been incredibly helpful introducing me to some of her network and we've continued having really interesting conversations along the way and that included Alison contributing to my book Work Life Flywheel which we mention in the show today. Now while Alison is always welcome back on the show the reason she's on specifically right now is because her new book has recently been published it's called Breaking Into Venture an outsider turned venture capitalist shares how to take risks Create power and build life changing wealth. We cover a lot in the show, so I won't share too much now. But just to give you a top line, it is a book which is designed to help anyone from any background get into the venture capital industry. But as I mentioned during our conversation, I think actually a lot of the lessons Alison's sharing are applicable in whichever industry you're working, whichever type of career you want to build. And they're particularly relevant to founders. So if you're a founder and you're looking to raise money, this book will give you some insights about how people on the other side of that table are thinking about things. So as always, would love to hear what you think about the show. In fact, if you have a moment afterwards, please do leave a rating. It does make a big difference to new listeners discovering it. Also, do check out my book, Work Life Flywheel, and the newsletter Future Work Life. That's enough from me. Let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Alison Warmgates. So Alison... It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining me. I want to go straight into talking about the objective behind the book, I suppose. Why encourage people to break into venture? What is it that makes it a great industry in which to make a mark on the world?
1: It's a great question. Um, I mean, venture capital is the fuel for innovation, and new ideas, new businesses, and new technology are made possible by venture capital investment. And those innovations impact everybody's lives. It starts with things like Google and Facebook and Instagram, and extends into Uber and you know, the ways we get around and the ways that we meet our partners and the ways that we get food and the ways that we find work, most importantly. And these mm. are such influential technologies. And part of my mission in the book is that, you know, because these technologies that are impacting everybody, it's important that all types of people have a say in how they get built, because now more than ever, we're seeing how there are big ramifications of having only one type of people building the business models that fuel these companies. And especially yeah. with things like chat GPT and open AI and, you know, these concepts that are venture backed and will change all of our lives dramatically, whether we know it or not. And what kind of business model is going to be set up? Who's going to benefit from those technologies mm. that everybody's using? And so I think having diversity around that table and having everybody aware of how these things get built is really important if we're going to be able to see around the corner and be able to adapt to how they're impacting our lives as individuals.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting the expression break into because it kind of evokes the feeling that it's difficult to actually enter that industry. There's maybe that feeling that it might be inaccessible to some. But also, mm. I think for some venture, is like this sort of mysterious world. No one quite knows what's yeah. happening. How do people <laughs> get into this? How do you end up being the people fueling the innovation through investment? So, I mean, why does it carry such mystery to people?
1: Because it's true. It is a very small part of the economy and a very small group of people. The average venture firm has 15 employees. So the number of seats at the table are extremely limited. And on top of that, it's an industry where you're taking a lot of risk when you invest in a company that has no product or an early product and they're you know creating a market or a technology that didn't exist before. There's a lot of uncertainty and risk there. And so it's natural that people want to invest in people that are like them. They want to invest in people that they know that they have contacts in common or context in common. And that's inherent to being able to take those types of risks. But then if you're an outsider and you aren't already part of that community where people know you and trust you and you have a reputation and a brand and um, all of that, then you know it can be really, really hard to get in the door. And on top of that, um, how do I how do I put this? I think um, my experience living in Japan really highlighted for me what venture capital is like and why it's so confusing. And I'll explain that. So when you move to Japan as a foreigner, everybody will meet you because they're curious. What is this foreign white lady doing here? Spending time in Japan. And I had a lot of meetings where they asked nice questions and they were really polite and we had a great interaction. And then I would follow up and they would never respond to me again. (laughs) And it was really confusing because you don't actually get any feedback on, well, was it something I said or is it just because I'm the way I am or you're not interested in what I'm doing? But it's the same dynamic. They don't know you. They don't trust you you're not part of that sphere of influence. And Mm. as I figured out how to navigate that, I was having the same experience in venture capital itself, where everybody will meet you, everybody wants to be helpful, everybody's so friendly and nice. But then when the rubber hits the road and you actually want to get something done, they completely ghost you. And Mm. so it was in some ways my experience navigating such a foreign country and world and culture that helped me kind of realize that's what happened. That's what was happening in venture capital. But I don't think anybody would have told me that um, because people don't want to say that it makes them look bad. Um, But it's how it works.
0: Yeah. It was something you wrote in your book. I found interesting, which is I suppose the assumption that as soon as you have money to invest that Everybody must be knocking on your door, right, trying to secure some of that money it 's like this sort of thought you have it's like, it 's it, like it's probably like a lot of jobs, I think some people everybody's everybody started a job where you think, "Oh, when I do this job, my life's going to be a bit easier like if you work in sales right. and you 've worked in a big company, you think oh it 's going to be so much easier selling when i 've got this big brand name behind me but of course, in every industry, in every category, selling to every individual. They've got different considerations and different expectations. So very often our disappointment comes because we realize it isn't going to be as easy as we thought. That reflected your experience, right?
1: Totally. And I think it shows how naive I was starting out thinking that, oh, just because I'm an investor, I'm going to get these amazing opportunities. And what you realize is, and I think there are a lot of VCs that are pretty open about this, that say, you know... I wonder why I'm getting this opportunity. Like if they're coming Mm. to me and I'm not famous and I'm not at a brand name fund, must there be something wrong with it? (laughs) (laughs) And so it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, And I think for me also kind of shifting from an entrepreneurial venture capital fund where we were setting up shop, doing something totally different um, being based in Asia, then moving to the Bay area, joining a more traditional fund Um, that had a bigger brand name, I kind of had the same expectation, to your point, where I thought, oh, well, now I'm at this established fund. And um, so I'll get all these great opportunities, because people will just come to me. And I think that's an important lesson for anybody's career. Um, Mm. You know, and the reason why having an entrepreneurial mindset and process is critical, no matter what you're doing, is that, you know, nobody's going to hand anything over to you. Um, and it's really up to you to create your own opportunities, whether you're at a big company or starting a new one.
0: Mm. Which gives me a good opportunity, actually. And I'm going to offer some compliments, throw some compliments your way. Um, which <laughs> oh, thank mind. you. Uh, so, I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> so I I really enjoyed the book. And I enjoyed a few things specifically. Um, I mean, number one, like most good books there's a narrative it's a story Mm. that hooks you in and in this case it's your story and that's important because as we said venture can seem like one of those impenetrable industries and I think it almost needs your personal journey to show that it's not the exclusive realm of rich white men although clearly there's still a way to go before it becomes completely representative of real life but I think you Mm. bring it to life and kind of Break down that barrier really well, so that's compliment number one. <laughs> and number number two, number two, again, here, what's a prerequisite for a book? Often, that I read, I learned stuff in there. I learned a bunch of stuff. And as a founder and somebody who works with startups and scale ups, is it's always useful to remind yourself of incentive structures behind every aspect mm. of your business. And I think that re- definitely includes the investor, the VC, and indeed their investors, um, which maybe we can talk about later because I think. That is one aspect of venture capital that I think people get confused at. It's sort of almost the assumption that it's your money it's individually and that you're handing it over. And, of right. course, there's a network of people around it. But the last thing, which is to your point, I, I think you've done a really cracking job of laying out a framework, which is actually relevant whichever industry you're in. So even for readers who don't choose to become a VC, there's loads of nice mm. mental models in there for shaping just a legendary career in general. And I suppose with that in mind – I'd like to dig in, if you don't mind, some of those sort of general principles you st- you share in there. Definitely, Starting with yeah. how you invest your time, because you know you're a new mum, clearly busy in your work too. So how <laughs> how are you new th- now thinking about how you prioritize what matters, the things that are going to make a difference to growth in your work and your personal life? Now you've got even less free time.
1: Right, it is incredible. I think uh, I don't know. There's definitely a narrative among working moms that they get annoyed when people ask, how do you do it all? Because that, you know, you'd never ask that to a man, but I'm asking myself that question right now. I'm like, how do you do yeah. it all? And yeah. it's, it is different. Um, you know, especially in the very early days of, of having a kid, but investing my time, I've definitely prioritized um, relationships where there's a, a two-way value add And your priorities definitely get um, fractured when you have kids and Mm. you start to differentiate between people that see you as a person versus see you as a transaction. And Mm. I've felt pretty, um, I've become very cutthroat about saying, you know, you can tell how somebody's approaching a relationship and just having a two way there are relationships like ours where you know it's been so cool to have meaningful conversations and to help each other out and we care about the same things but then it's also hey what's your advice for this or what's your advice for that mm-hmm. like you just become people and yeah. um you know i don't know exactly where all of those things are going to lead but when you're able to provide value to each other it's worth it so i've definitely been doubling down on that concept the last week of events with Silicon Valley Bank, what has really hit home for me is we just are facing a reality of work that has new levels of uncertainty. I mean, think about Mm -hmm. the black swan events, the unprecedented sort of disruptions to how we work, where we work, you know, how much money you're making, the things that provide the stability that allow you to function as a human being, there have been mm. so many fundamental disruptions in such a short period of time. And it just really makes you realize that you don't know what's going to happen. And so mm. having a strong network of people that can help you in ways that you might not anticipate um, is a big element of having the resiliency that you need to navigate these kind of times, you know?
0: Yeah, 100%. And you were kind enough to share your experience of leaning on a support network for my book. Tell us how you think about networking, both from a personal point of view and the role it plays in building a career as a VC.
1: Well, from a personal point of view, it's exactly what we were just talking about, where I think having a strong networking community helps you figure out what's actually going on, figure out what you want reflect back to you your strengths and weaknesses. I talk a lot about that mm. in the book when you're trying to think about how can you uniquely add value? Um, what is a narrative that resonates when it comes to making new connections? Having people that you trust who will give you honest feedback on that is is a huge competitive advantage. So there's that piece. Um, but also venture capital and really work in general today is driven by networks. Just like it takes ten impressions for you to buy a product, um, it's very similar to making an investment or getting a job. Where you know there's so much more of everything now. So how do you stay top of mind? If- to people, It's that concept of the back channel. Who do they know and trust? Mm-hmm. And then do they mention you to them? That's true yeah. for founders. That's true for jobs, um, for sure. And so uh, being able to leverage your network to also understand power structures and who's really in charge and how decisions get made. That's one of the biggest things that I hear from founders navigating how to raise venture capital is they really have no idea if they're talking to somebody who has decision-making power and they also have no idea if the fund itself is even in the right place to qualify whether or not they would be a viable candidate to lead your round or invest in your round. And very similarly, you know, we run a network at our fund subreverance of HR leaders who build, manage uh, workforces for some of the largest employers in America. And I have had conversations with their heads of talent acquisition or business managers that are empowered to be hiring managers as well. And they talk about how they're subject to these forces of headcount freezes or expansions and that they'll end up having tons of conversations with candidates knowing that they can't actually hire any of them. Because There's a Mm. hiring freeze, but they don't want to tell them there's a hiring freeze because then nobody will ever want to work at their company. And so it's just like there are these things where you could just completely waste your time or walk away from an interaction that doesn't end up the way that you want, believing that it's something that you did. But in reality, Mm. that's not the case. And that's where having networks and connections into these organizations, whether it's a venture capital fund or an employer, can be so valuable to really actually process the feedback that you're getting, and understand where it is you and where it's just not you at all, you know.
0: Mm. And as you're feeling about networking, and actually talking about networking, somebody you put me in contact with Erica Young, we had a great conversation. She doesn't like using the word networking, essentially as Mm. a verb. So I apologize if she's listening. Um, But I mean, (laughs) I think we're all, we kind of use It's like the shorthand. We understand that that's the word we use. Now, the reason, one of the stories you told me for my book was when you moved to Silicon Valley and you Mm. really relied on the support you were given to, actually to even stay there you know I think at first again I'm, I'm paraphrasing but essentially it was really tough to move to a completely new place without a support network around you existing one actually you built a community that you you met there and that really helped you now I assume mm. there was a lot of in-person interaction at that stage and of course COVID changed that for quite a while we were just doing online stuff now we have the opportunity to kind of redesign that mix how do you think about mm-hmm. it now We've-
1: i've definitely been used to building networks digitally because of my experience living abroad when we started our venture fund we were investing fresco capital i was living in hong kong and we were investing in the u.s and europe and so it i think Living in a digital and distributed world, you have the opportunity to make connections that you wouldn't otherwise. But to your point, in order to truly deepen those connections, you do need to get on a plane and Mm. go see them or get on a train or take an Uber or whatever it may be. But spending time in person is more critical than ever. But what's cool about the ability to make initial connections digitally is you can have a better filtering mechanism for how you invest your time so going back Mm. to the beginning of our conversation you can sense digitally you know on a zoom call whether someone's aligned with you or not and you then maximum have wasted 30 minutes of your time and maybe you'll talk to them again or maybe you won't but you kind of can explore that before you make that time investment whereas before i think about my day-to-day as a as a vc I mean, I used to be sitting in an office, you book one hour meetings with entrepreneurs and you're going all around the city. You just have, um, it's just a slower process. So I really appreciate the ability to expand your reach and better qualify. Um, Mm. but ultimately spending time in person is where you really build that connection. I mean, it's human, right? I mean, we're, we're wired that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned a few minutes ago of uh, this idea of narrative. And also you've you mentioned something about whether, whether, for example, a VC firm is the type as a, a founder that you'd want to go into business with and get into a relationship mm. with. Because, of course, as the cliche often goes, you're in a relationship for the long term. It's a bit like a marriage. Um, so there's something yep. that pivoting, pivoting, expression people have heard, but maybe don't necessarily understand or could do with some clarification, which is this idea of an investment thesis. Mm -hmm. Um, you could easily describe this as your point of view on the world or POV Mm -hmm. to use another acronym I mean is that fair kind of idea in terms of how people can kind of get into context what this investment thesis does and how it relates to whether you should build a relationship with a venture capital firm as a founder
1: absolutely from a founder perspective you know your investors need to believe the world is changing in the same way that you do. Or else, even if you're aligned from a business perspective today, you won't be in the future. Mm. Um, and the most successful pitches are when somebody already believes the fundamental premise of your business. And it's kind of like, you know, if you're selling a product, if somebody doesn't think they need your product, then all of a sudden, now you have to first convince them that they need it and then they need you need to convince them that they should pick you so you're doing this double sale and the sales cycle is way longer and i think that's similar for venture funds where you know i focus on the future of work and so sometimes i'll meet a founder who's pitching me something and they're trying to convince me that the world is becoming more digital and distributed and i'm like okay we can save an hour let's cut to the chase. What are you building? And then I can decide whether it's a good product or a good business or not. But you don't need to convince me that companies are going to work in a more distributed fashion. I already believe that. So I think yeah. you can definitely find that alignment. But you know, it's true for navigating any career as well. I mean, you need to have a fundamental belief ar- around where the world is going. And i experienced that very early on when I was at Goldman. The reason why I left to join a venture back startup was because I could see that technology was disrupting the business that I was part of. And you can wait and hold on as long as you possibly can, or you can get ahead of it and start investing your time and relationships into an area that's growing or has new opportunities. And so I think having that kind of investment thesis, that view of the world for yourself is important, even if you're not a founder or a VC.
0: Mm. and what about sharing that view and again this doesn't have to be a VC it doesn't even have to be a founder. putting yourself out there to share your ideas even as they're developing is also a good thing I mean I think about my journey over the past three years we met two and a half years ago I sort of had a few views on things but they've really developed since then and I've consistently shared those ideas of the world and I've probably looked back and I've not got everything right and I've maybe changed my mind slightly but I'll tell you one thing is as you say, it's it's rare that I meet somebody who doesn't understand already what my point of view on the world is. And I suppose Ed, mm. you've always been really good at this. You introduced me to the idea of the flipped workplace, which I talked about loads since then. And people really, really resonated with people, particularly when the hybrid conversation came in. Mm. But is this is writing this book the next stage of that for you personally? And is that a conscious decision or is this something you've always had, just the need to share your ideas?
1: Yeah, it was funny one joke that I make that maybe doesn't resonate with a lot of people, but, um, especially as a woman in a business environment, you get cut off a lot. And so this was my over indexing. Like nobody can cut me off if I'm writing a book, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so this is my long form, uh, expression of my ideas, which I could never get out verbally, but the joke, all jokes aside. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, you know, um, When it comes to being mission-driven or having something that you really believe in or care about, and in this case, it is making it easier for more types of people to break into venture capital, which I think is fundamentally needed. And also, selfishly, it was really hard. Like I joke that it took years and tears for me to understand the Mm. framework behind this industry? And what is the point if you can't make it easier for somebody else? So to me, Mm. just selfishly, it's like you have, I want to make it worth it somehow. And so those are the really big motivations for me for writing the book. And you can talk about that. I mean, you can talk about it. You can write about why that's needed. I've written plenty of articles on why we need more diversity in venture. And guess what? It hasn't changed. And so it's my form of taking action and putting my money and my time where my mouth is because, I don't know, it it feels like what we're doing isn't working. And so I'm trying a different tactic, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Nice. And actually, maybe we could talk about some ideas that you do share in the book. So, I mean, we've talked before about your love of acronyms. Um, so maybe we, mm-hmm. should start, uh, maybe we should start there. Tell me about the three A's that you discuss in the book.
1: The three A's are the really fundamental pieces of how venture capital works. And as someone who has navigated myself, someone who has taught a a lot of people about venture capital as well, there's this obsession with math and how do you value a company correctly and how do you write a great term sheet. And those skills are fine, but they aren't what are going to make you – they're not going to make or break you in venture capital. They are certainly um, table stakes. But understanding how to play the game is what makes the difference. And so the three A's are how to access great opportunities, how to analyze them effectively, and how to add value to them after you're part of them. Um, and those three pieces really apply to any career, right? Like, I mean, there are great jobs out there and you can apply, but are they actually going to hire you? Like, how do you think about gaining access to that? And then once you have those opportunities, how do you analyze which ones are worth your time, which ones are going to be successful are going to pro- provide you with opportunities to grow? And yeah. then, you know, how do you crush it once you're inside? That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Um, and so I think those, those are the really, to me, the fundamental pieces of how this industry works.
0: Which is of course, where all of the different things we've discussed already feed into that. I mean, even this thing around by sharing your ideas, your point of view, and obviously Mm. determining your investment thesis, what you're doing is you're kind of, it's the first filter, isn't it? You're filtering out those people that might not be a good match and improving the, Possibility that the people you do then connect with share that same philosophy, share that same outlook. Definitely. Right. I mean, one thing that's clear is there isn't a single route into the industry. So maybe let's get practical for a minute. How does someone know if VC is right for you?
1: It definitely depends on what type of venture capital you're interested in accessing. So, I mean, at early stage venture is much more macro. It's about, you know, do you share this big picture view of the world? And do we believe that you are capable of navigating it? It's much more of a people focused business. Um, and the valuation is kind of typically made up in some sense <laughs> based on, hey, how much money could we make if you were super successful? But the difference yeah. between Valuing a company at eight million dollars, or eleven million dollars, or twelve million dollars is—it's kind of finger in the air uh, at that point. But when it comes to later stage or true growth capital, then it is much more financially driven, much more metrics-driven. There is Mm. a deep fundamental um, quantitative analysis that occurs, partially because you just have more to analyze, um, but also uh, the—you know—the I guess you could think about it as your margins are a little bit slimmer because you're investing in later stage companies. And so there is there is still a lot of upside, but not the same amount of upside that you have at the very early stages. So I think understanding where you fit in or where you, um, you know, want to get involved in venture capital um, is important. And then from a founder's perspective, I think part of what I try to highlight in the book is that venture is designed to fund high growth businesses. And I meet so many entrepreneurs that are building really great businesses, Um, but that growth trajectory just doesn't fit into the framework that we need to have as venture capital investors to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. So I think um, making sure that that's aligned and understanding that that's what venture capital is designed to do at the end of the day
0: yeah and another transferable observation or piece of advice that you share which you talk about actively managing your blind spots I'm interested in what you mean by that and maybe an example of how you've done that in your career
1: yeah uh I'm trying to think about how to articulate this because in some ways I think the best analogy is actually dating, but my editor told me I can't write about that because it undermines my, my educational <laughs> oh, clout.
0: No, um, let's, let's, let's let's focus on that then. That'd be, if it's not in the book, it's a book, is it extra insight?
1: I think it's so relatable. I mean, how many relationships or people have you found yourself attracted to because of a need that you're looking to fill or something else that you're reacting to, or, you know, Mm. this person's really good looking. And so I want to date them, but that doesn't actually dictate your fundamental compatibility. And Mm. the only way that you can get better at that, I mean, how many friends do you know that just keep getting into bad relationships? And you're like, this is so clear to me that this is never going to work out. But you just Mm. like this person because they're adventurous and they always invite you to do fun things or, um, you know, you think they're really rich. Or I don't know what it may be, but um, when there's those patterns of making the same decision over and over again and getting the same suboptimal results, you know, that's when things break down and people don't get what they want. And it's very similar in the investing world where we all have biases, right? I mean, if you feel like an outsider, but you see that this company is backed by a famous person, well, of course you're going to be swayed by that because you know you think that that's really critical for them. Or if you had a personal experience that you think really, you know, needs to be solved. I mean, I talk about my partner whose wife suffered from breast cancer. And so he, you know, was really passionate about investing in a company that's solving that problem, whether or not it was the right fit for our fund. So there's always that kind of sense of, you know, we're human um, Mm -hmm. and we get swayed by these biases. And the only way to improve over time is to have an awareness of it. Um, and so that self-awareness is a critical competitive advantage to be able to look back and say, well, why did I make that choice? And was it the right one? And did that company or relationship or job go well because of reasons that I anticipated or reasons that I didn't anticipate and then go back and iterate on your process? Um, so I think, you know, it's not a transaction, um, like, in a world where there's so much change, people change jobs every two years, you know, I, we build a portfolio of investments. Um, people don't get married when they're 18 anymore. Well, I guess some do, mm. but not not very many people that I know. Um, you know, you get more shots on goal and we're really lucky for that, but it only matters if you know how to adapt and evolve as a result.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it is a fine line though, isn't it? Because I suppose you have to... You have to be aware of your blind spots, and yet, in the same way, I, I kind of re- I really like the the chapter title where you talk about the importance of being different and embracing being different, essentially. And I suppose right. there's, this is where this fine line where you have to be conscious that our biases come into it, and actually, the network can come in there because you know mm-hmm. you've got people just reminding you and sort of reorienting you if you're going in the wrong direction. But of course, also ultimately, and again, it's applicable in any industry. Mm-hmm. really embracing what makes you different and bringing that out in the the work you do is just really right. key isn't it and i like that's why i really and and it, that sort of feeds its way through my book as well but i love the fact that you brought that in because again relationships are built because people feel like you're genuine and that you've got something interesting and unique about you as as much as the money that you're offering to them or the product that you're selling and i think that being different things just so important to that
1: Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, recognizing when you're wrong and why it's important to improve your process, but not lose your edge. And that's where I think teams are really cool, um, because if you have a strong team around you who has diverse perspectives, they can reflect back to you. Well, first of all, you make your decision making better and everybody has different Mm -hmm. biases. Um, And so kind of the more voices around the table, the more that those individual biases become less important because you have more perspectives. Um, But they can also reflect back to you, you know, don't change that about yourself or don't change that about your process. That's, you know, what makes you unique and, So that network, I think, is an important piece of that. But you have to be so careful who you listen to, right? I mean, (laughs) you get a lot of advice. And one of the things, one of the biggest mistakes I see founders make is they get feedback from VCs. And then, you know, they think that that's what they should do. And, Mm. you know, we don't, I mean, we know some stuff, but you know your market better than us. And so you have to be able to qualify some of that feedback
0: well advice is always highly contextual isn't it and influenced by people's own experiences so I absolutely agree with that um well Alison first of all I've loved having you back on the show you're welcome back anytime
1: thank you for having me yeah Um,
0: is there anything else anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap up
1: please read the book and review it on Amazon. <laughs> That's what I've been yeah. told to say by my publisher. No, um, <laughs> no, I think actually what, what I care more about is if you read the book and you find it valuable, you know, share it with somebody else um, because somebody that might not pick it up because it has venture on the subject line, um, mm. on the title. Um, and that, that would be really meaningful and, and make all of this worth it.
0: So thanks again to Alison for joining me on the show. I will indeed put a link to Breaking Interventure in the show notes. I'll be back for another interesting conversation about the future of work next week with Julia Hobbsbourne, Bloomberg columnist and the author of The Nowhere Office. Until then, check out my book, Work Life, Flywheel on Amazon. Sign up for the future work life newsletter on Substack or LinkedIn and have a great week.